Lord. Bada bing. Oh. <coughs> Gabba go. Gabba go. Oh, yeah. I have to sneeze. Hey. Ugh, it's gone. Whatever. What the fuck was that? I, I had to sneeze, and it was like, it's like right there. It's like right on the edge, but that's fine. That's fine. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Happy Amblin, the Adam Sandler, Steven Spielberg podcast retrospective series detailing the works of the two biggest movie stars in the history of Hollywood. There's no one else bigger than Adam Sandler and Steven Spielberg. Wouldn't you agree, my co-host, Matt Garingo? What? Said you gotta go. Just go. All right. I'm your host Diego Crespo, and that again was Matt Garingo. We're here to talk about Adam Sandler's Big Daddy. Welcome to Happy uh, Amblin. I did that already. We're talking about Big Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you want to run this one? No, I do not. That's what I thought. Anyways. We're here to talk about the 1999 American comedy film. Uh, Adam Sandler reteams with Dennis Dugan, uh, his director on Happy Gilmore. And, uh, of course, the hit classic Beverly Hills Ninja. Oh, yeah. Was that Farley's last movie? I believe it was. was and I haven't seen it. Leading film. Um, he's the legendary white ninja. And he's, the joke is that he's a very bad ninja. But because some old prophecy said there's going to be a white ninja, they can't, like, let him go. That's not a bad setup. Is is that Kung Fu Panda? It kind of is. Oh, my God. Yeah, but Kung Fu Panda, like, it turns out he really is, like, a chosen one, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but, like, Beverly Hills Ninja is kind of, like, all incidental. Like, oh, okay. Oh, that's funny. Like, yeah, he, he does end up, like, stopping a crime, but, like, there's never a scene in it. At least I don't remember where they go. Actually, you're, you you fulfilled the prophecy. The prophecy is very vague. It just says there will be a great white ninja. So, like, I think the moment he did anything, they were like, fine, you fulfilled the prophecy. <laughs> just get out of here. But that's, like, a movie that's, like, literally just Chris Farley getting hit in the head, like, over and over again. And he keeps accidentally murdering people. Oh, shit. <laughs> but, like, they're all bad guys. Like... Okay. All there's right. one where he's at a uh, Benihana well, as type... Well, are criminals. Yeah, there's, like... yes. Well, there's a scene where he's at, like, a Benihana-type restaurant, and he's disguised as a chef. And he's, you know, of course, he's bad, he's fucking it up, haha. And he's, like, trying to do a trick with the knives... And, like, he one slips out of his hand and, like, stabs someone, but that person just happened to be an assassin coming to, like, kill him. <laughs> but, like, you know, if that circumstance hadn't have been happening, he he might have killed an innocent person. <laughs> Chris Rock's also in that movie. I bet one day I'm going to watch it and I'm going to be, like, the one fucking loser that likes that movie. It's not, I mean, I haven't seen it since I was a child and I liked it as a kid. Okay. I just remember there's a lot of scenes of Chris Farley, like, legit injuring himself. <laughs> and setting things on fire. And then it's, Living like... Living in a van down by the river. Yeah, yeah. But it's also one of those where it's, like... It feels like a leftover script from the 80s where it was, like, 48 hours showed that we can be funny and violent at the same time. 
because like people like really get shot and there's like actually a fairly complicated plot about like counterfeit money because i think that's what the villain was up to in that film like they had they were trying to transfer these these plates that could make counterfeit whatever the china is chinese currency the yen i believe so so that was i think that's what the plot of that movie was do you like it more than big daddy um, I might. I I gotta rewatch it. I actually now I kind of really want to rewatch. Uh, <laughs> Beverly Hills. Delay the episode. We're gonna watch. Uh, <laughs> Beverly, Hills Beverly Hills Ninja. Ninja. Um, I might. It, it next next Adam Sandler one. I will try to watch Beverly Hills Ninja and let you guys know what I think. <laughs> Maybe there'll be a bonus episode for the Patreon. Um, but Big Daddy is a film about Adam Sandler's character Sonny Koufax. Uh, a man lives in New York City, and of course, he's an adult with uh, no sense of responsibility, direction in his life. It's like this is where the Adam Sandler character is like, it's already been solidified. You, you kind of know the vibe of him going in. Um, I, I really think this one became like a staple, at, le- at the very least. Like, looking back for me, this is like, oh, by this point, you kind of know what you're getting with an Adam Sandler movie. This, I, yeah, this is probably where it becomes a staple, but it's also the moment where. He's. They add the element that there's always like a weird like heart at the center of his films, which is an odd thing to say, you know. Um, mm-hmm. We've watched. I don't know how many we've done total right now, but since uh, since Billy Madison, we've done four Sandlers before this, and three of those feature him as basically a violent psychopath. <laughs> And this is the first one where he gets angry, but he's not, like, horrifically violent. He does injure pedestrians a lot <laughs> and throws himself in front of cars. But uh, it's more about him trying to take care of this kid. And then it's like, oh, and then, like, it ends with, like, a custody battle, which is an odd way, an odd turn for an Adam Sandler film. It's not a, uh academic decathlon or uh or the big game or you know stopping your sweetheart from getting married to a guy <laughs> yeah like, this or... one like almost taps into something very real <laughs> in a way <laughs> like is that is that weird for me to say um no like... but it's like it is one where it's i think adam sandler disarms you because his movies are so like dumb and i say that as a compliment they're just so dumb and like very basic and blunt and goofy, but then like out of nowhere they will be like, "Hey, what? This kid's gonna go to a fucking group home," and you're like, "Wait, what the fuck?" And it's like, "Oh yeah," and you've also you might go to prison because you're lying about being this child's father. And it's like that's a kind of real thing to just throw in here. At the eleventh hour. Also, John Stewart was in this, and I completely forgot. Yeah, this is when John Stewart was trying to be an actor. This is the year he um, became the host of the Daily Show. I think you're gonna say this is the year he acted in movies. No. The, the one, <laughs> just the one, though. Well, he did he? I mean, what he did? He's in the Faculty, <clears throat> which I uh, still have not. Oh, seen. you got to see that he's the biology teacher. All right. Um, he's in. Death to Smoochie. 
<laughs> you're saying death to smoochie no but i know of the title and that's uh, literally all i know about it there's a, a line in that movie i use a lot <laughs> or robin williams i won't even give context but smoochie the rhino the children's television character is singing a song with all the children and it's a song that doesn't really make any sense and robin williams is plotting revenge and he just says behind the scenes he's like whatever the fuck whatever that means you fucking peasant he's fantastic that's when roger ebert gave it one star and said uh it takes a group of very talented people to make a movie this bad i mean that's kind of a compliment yeah it's a great if you can find it i don't believe it's up anymore because they kind of took all of them down but uh there was a great um episode of the howard stern show that had john stewart on the day before he hosted the oscars for the first time and they also brought Ebert on, and Ebert kind of like went over the reviews of all of John Stewart's movies. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, speaking of, of Ebert, he gave this one and a half stars. Yes, they call it like a very sick film. <laughs> yeah, this is the first line. Big Daddy is a film about a seriously disturbed slacker who adopts a five-year-old and tutors him in cynicism. Cruel practical jokes and antisocial behavior. That's a that's a heavy start, Ebert. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, now, do you agree with that? I agree with that. Really? <laughs> I yeah. I I, I kind of do. All right. <laughs> there is heart in this. There there are moments that are very touching because Adam Sandler's characters are always just like very well. Not not always because you know Billy Madison, of course. But like the kind of vibe you end up getting from a lot of his characters are always like. They're very cynical, um, and they're they're very uh, self centered, and but the moments where like the heart comes out, like even though he's being like a huge asshole to someone eventually, uh, there's like something very tangible there in the performance, and just like because it's a kid, and uh, the the kid of course is played by uh, the Sprouse twins, Dylan and Cole Sprouse, yeah. As people will know them from uh, their, their Disney days, of course. And for all the, the melodrama fans out there, if you're watching Riverdale, like I do, then you know Dylan. <laughs> I, I love I love trash, and that show is glorious trash. Um, All right. Yeah, I don't I, know. I can't I, really I, recommend it, but I love it. Yeah, but like, here's, a, here's my thing about Riverdale. All right, let's do this. Um... It feels calculated to be trash. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I love trash when there's, like, an earnestness to it. There doesn't seem to be an earnestness to Riverdale. It feels like they're like, yeah, we know it's an Archie comic. Right. Like, uh-huh. and I I don't know. It just, and I couldn't get into it. It felt too, like, if you want to talk about cynicism, I feel a lot of cynicism from Riverdale. Oh, damn. And... Um, I, I'm not saying I don't feel it in Big Daddy. Yeah. But I, like, I, I well. get more of a vibe from Riverdale. All right. I will just say, though, because um, now I've kind of, for, for shows like that, I'm like, I either watch them weekly or, like, I can wait for Netflix. Uh, after a certain season, I was like, I could wait for Netflix. <laughs> I'm All a right. fan, but, you know, there's a difference between Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that It's that kind of thing. Uh, anyways, um, we're all ignoring the fact that the perfect Archie comic adaptation already happened with Josie and the Pussycats. 
I haven't, I haven't seen it. Oh my god, you are missing out. <laughs> all right, it is I'm like to check it out. It is all right. This might be a bit of a stretch. So <laughs> I don't, I don't want you to get your hopes up too much. All right, but it is like a great movie about friendship. That's also secretly a Paul Verhoeven level satire. <laughs> oh, bold! I just rewatched the first RoboCop. It's uh, I would say more Starship Troopers. It's more in line with Starship Troopers. Okay, okay. There's even a part of the movie that tells you to join the army. <laughs> wow! Um, and it's a movie that bombed horribly and basically ruined everyone except Rosario Dawson's career. <laughs> Aww. Which is a shame because it's a great movie. Yeah. Um, that's, that, okay. Well, I'm, I'm interested in checking it out now. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, if if it's streaming somewhere, like that's watch it as soon as possible. Actually, no. Hang on. Let's see. Because I gotta watch Creep Show. I'm writing these down like live right now. Okay. <laughs> oh fuck. Hang on. Why? Why don't these pens work? I don't know how to place <laughs> my pens. Okay. Creep Show. Josie and the Pussycats. Popeye. Uh, make sure Popeye is still on. Pe- Popeye was on Netflix recently, and those don't tend to last very long. Yeah, I know. Like last Boy Scout was on for like a month only. Like, what yeah, the was that? Um, Josie and the Pussycats, Popeye, Creep Show. What was the one you just? Oh, uh, Beverly Hills Ninja. Um, yeah, but that's not not no. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, that's was one. Another one. If you have time. Okay, okay, okay. I think I recommended something recently to you that I was shocked you hadn't seen, but I can't remember what it was. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to listen back to this when I edit it anyway, so whatever. Um, But I guess this is kind of emblematic of what we think about Big Daddy. Yeah. uh, With these discussions. I will guide this episode, though, and I will take us through all the ebbs and flows of the drama, the twists and turns, the cameos, the... uh, (laughs) Great cast in this one. It's a very you know good what? cast. I'm realizing I like every cast Adam Sandler's working with. Like, yeah. Generally, like, I'm sure we're going to hit something where I'm like, oh, yeah, no, that was just, like, not. That just didn't work. I mean, nothing, we're already reaching that kind of point, but you get what I'm saying. With the I think shockingly, cast. shockingly, it's going to stop working when it, we get the grown-ups. Which is so weird considering, like, that that's, like, one of those like movies where it's like, oh, my God, they're all together. And it's just like, oh, <laughs> that might be the turning point, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah, but um, the, the, this one's good. Christy Swanson yeah. plays his uh, girlfriend in the opening act of the film, the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, who is now like, isn't she like a very right wing person? Yeah, yeah. It's a, we, we don't we don't talk about that. Well, then you That's, brought her up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. You could have brought up Joey Lauren Adams, who should have had a bigger career. Well, there's, there's, okay, do you want to talk about Joey Lauren Adams? Yeah, she should have had a bigger career. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is like she's, her, she's good in this. This is like her follow-up to Chasing Amy. Like her first, like, big follow-up to Chasing Amy. Uh, and again, with the Adam Sandler love interests, who uh, Joey, Lauren, Joey Lauren Adams, of course, plays, the actresses always just, they're, like, too good Oh yeah, for that role. And, of course, now, like you said, we're we're, we're seeing so few of them, like, actually springboard to bigger careers which is really a bummer yeah and that's that's i mean that's not these movies fault really that's just the industry's fault oh yeah no 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 it's, yeah it's, it's a systemic issue here's the thing um we maybe we'll get into this as we go on but 
you is there a female equivalent to Adam Sandler? And like would or would a woman like would audiences accept a woman going in the same direction as some of his characters? I don't know. Um I I bet there's someone that could pull it off. Um, Melissa McCarthy kind of had a string for a minute there. Yeah, but she's like but she fell more into like the Chris Farley mold. You know? Maybe. Also she's I not like not to, not, and not to be like you know, I don't even I, don't, I feel like that came across like I was saying that they're both fat <laughs> like that's not what I mean, <laughs> but they just are both people with a lot of energy and a lot they, of they can sell a yell yeah that's what like uh, I, I'm actually a very big fan of her work with Paul Feig yes uh, with maybe one exception not even hate that one like some people mm-hmm. but like uh, yeah she she's maybe she had that run for a little while that's probably the most comparable to Sandler um, but like could a woman get away with threatening violence as much as Adam Sandler does I'm remembering lines from like the heat and oh yeah she does like beat the sh- but she's Jesus. like a cop in that movie yeah like that it puts in a different arena like I'm talking about we need someone just who like a is human yeah like First of all, like first, there's a. It's got to be a female character who has a very privileged lifestyle. Um, this Sonny Koufax in this film, um, we find that he he came from a rich family. He is a lawyer, but is just not like. I, was he not completing the bar exam or something? He, he didn't take the he didn't take the bar exam because yeah. he's a slacker. He just works like one day a week. He at works the, in a toll, toll booth. booth. Um, he he has uh other successful former roommates and that's kind of like cause he has a very good um like loft apartment in New York City which even in 99 probably would have been hard to get uh and he's also he got run over by his foot got run over by a taxi cab so he won a lawsuit and he's like coasting off of $200,000 so like that's a very unlikable person yeah and I'm, I, I feel like, I'm not saying I would, I feel like audiences, though, would, would be more critical if there was a female character that did something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, that weird no, double yeah, I, standard? I, I think it, yeah, the, the double standard totally there. I mean, like, it just, okay, to go back to Melissa McCarthy, like, she got a lot of shit for doing basically similar, like, style, low-brow comedies, you know? Yeah. And then she kind of uh, has had, had almost this reinvention in recent years, like Sandler did when he started taking serious roles. And now people are, like, finally waking up to the, oh, no, she's, like, really good, like, as a, just as a performer, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, even outside of comedic stuff. Um, So, I, I don't know. I, I would like to see that, even if it's, like, I'm going to go ahead and say I think Big Daddy's actually a pretty bad movie. Like, not... <laughs> good i don't know i um, liked i liked it enough um i can't okay so this is apparently what this is what's happening with the adam sandler stuff is i guess like, i just know how low it's gonna go i guess that's what it is i guess because um, like this is the first adam sandler movie i ever remember watching like in my life this is the one mm-hmm. uh so I, I i always kind of felt this connection to it but like i don't it's just not enough for me i guess uh there's there, again little moments cute uh even some funny stuff uh i, I think like when they pee on the side of the restaurant yeah i think i'm gonna say i think this is a very by the numbers film 
It's very, it's literally like it's a classic setup where it's like, oh, we're gonna put um, an unprepared adult with a child. <laughs> like that's just that's fucking. You can go back to Charlie Chaplin's The Kid. <laughs> like, yeah, this is one oh of the my oldest. God, this is Adam Sandler's The Kid. <laughs> yeah, basically, <laughs> and it has a very similar ending. <laughs> That ends with more of a chase scene than a courtroom scene, but hey. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> I want Adam Sandler to go into that territory. If he can't do more dramatic roles after this like insane Oscar snub, I want him to just turn into Charlie Chaplin. But I don't think he has that kind of energy, and that's fine. I would say it basically it ha- it hits all the beats of like, all right, what's a fun thing to watch Adam Sandler and a kid try to do? So it's like, oh, you know, go go out for food and... Um, oh, the kid wet the bed. No, the kid wants to watch his favorite um, kid show, but you want to watch the game. And it's all, you know, it's very predictable. Mm. But I think I'll, enough of the individual moments are funny that it kind of makes it, 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 it helps it rise to a level that I enjoyed. And again, I think that he's he's still he's a little more he's very, he is very cynical. It is weird where we're going from you know Billy Madison, which is absurd, and then Happy Gilmore where he fights Bob Barker, and then the Water Boy where he's like basically just beating up people the whole movie. Like the whole thing is that he's a, he's he's a complete idiot who just assaults people that whole movie, and. Here it's weird because he's got that level of anger, but it also kind of there's a weird disconnect when it actually gets violent at times. It only it lands a few times, but it's a little weird. Uh, well, here's something I, I I will say in a positive light. Um, the story comes from writer, director, and musician, which I'm just learning, uh, Steve Franks, who's most popularly known for his work in creating the USA Network original series Psych. Yep. Which I'm actually a very big fan of. I couldn't find much of it, but it, it feels like he maybe had this script, and then Sandler and um, Tim Hurley got a hold of it and like tooled it to be more of a Sandler film. Yeah, yeah. he's not like a like a someone I worship writer wise, but he he made a very long running, very consistently entertaining series. Yeah, um, he's he, he's got something and uh, something about the he's good at banter. And I don't know how much of this is his, you know, he got the story and screenplay credit. Well... Maybe it's like a Colin Trevorrow in episode 9 thing. Maybe. I, I will say that the strength of this movie is not the banter. Uh, okay, so did you notice how awkward some of the cutting was between people at times? Um, yes. Okay, yeah, it, it felt like there was a little dead air. Um, but it just felt like it was more the general cheapness that kind of comes with these type of comedies. This feels like a step down. The Water Boy felt like it actually kind of had a budget, which I'm not sure if it even did. It just felt like it did. Well, this movie had a $34 million budget. Yeah, and Water Boy had $23 million, so I don't know where the fuck it went here. Wow. Yeah, uh, maybe it was the cast. Sorry, that, was a little, I, that was a little intense. I don't, I don't hate this movie. Yeah, I don't hate it either. Um, I liked it, is what I said. Yeah, um, maybe. Yeah, maybe the cast, and just because they, I think they actually shot in New York, and that does get expensive. Oh yeah, that's probably what it was then. I mean, just talking about this barely again, I'm like, oh, maybe it was a little hard on the water boy. <laughs> oh, all right. well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you should have brought everyone. something to the water boy. I, I brought 
we've we've recorded at the time of recording this we have recorded but not released the water boy and then we recorded uh, uh Raiders of the Lost Ark of course which was a phenomenal episode that changed the course of podcasting history kind of hard uh, to top the uh uh close encounters episode I'm kind of I'm hoping cuz I did the same joke with close encounters and we ended up having a really good episode so I'm hoping that yeah. if I do it again it'll work <laughs> All right all right but, Oh wait so now, now you got to do it for a Sandler one um, no, I do Little not. Little Nicky's going to change the game. No, it will not. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Little Nicky. Oh, see, I don't. I just know the Quentin Tarantino thing now. Um, You're going to... That voice is going to be not fun. <laughs> Need some more medulla oblongata. See, that was funny. He beat up Colonel Sanders in The Waterboy. You just, you just weren't vibing with it, though. I wasn't. I honestly wasn't. I can't believe um, you didn't find the fact that that movie, for no real reason, ends with Colonel Sanders getting trampled to death. So we should start off with the water boy. I mean, the, 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 the fucking big daddy. I'm just saying, you gave me nothing that episode, so it's like I got all these like hanging points. All right. Here, you could talk about the water boy while I talk about Big Daddy. No, it's fine. What do you what What in Big Daddy do you want to talk about? I'm trying to steer this shit more positive. Okay, okay, okay. Because uh, I feel like if we if we go negative this early, frankly, first of all, it wouldn't. I'm, I'm not even being disingenuous. I did like this movie. Mm-hmm. I wasn't in love with it. Um, I as much like I really enjoyed rewatching The Waterboy. Um, I didn't enjoy Big Daddy on the same level, but I still liked it. But if we go low this early, we won't have anywhere else to go when <laughs> it really turns. Well, here's what I will say. This kernel of an idea that I'm I'm always very attracted to in in films like this or or, or just like any like film with like a cynical asshole as the main character or at least a main character is uh them learning to care about something other than themselves, you know? Like it's a very like comforting trope to me. Or they're like they're like angry at the world and they don't give a shit about anything, but then there's like this cute smaller person that they care about and it's like they have just soft feelings about them it's a very like tumblr thing i bet tumblr like wormed its way into my brain with mm-hmm. that kind of thing because uh i i've i've been noticing a lot of my favorite subject matter in the last decade has stuff like that <laughs> but um i don't know i i i buy the connection between the characters that's a fine idea but that like barely happens in this movie <laughs> i know but like it it happens when it does happen i'm like oh this is what i want okay <laughs> this is this it gets is weird stuff right here we're, we're at the end when um sonny koufax is um exposed as being a criminal he's like why won't anyone help me why does no one care about this kid everyone cares about this i was like dude you've only cared about yourself until this kid yeah. like you got no right to be accusing um joey lauren adams of not like immediately jumping on the case you know? And not only that, he got the kid because he was selfish. Yeah. So, like, the inception of the kid entering his life is his own selfishness. So it should be something he has to confront. And it is interesting where he first starts liking the kid because he basically can use the kid to, like, because, like, suddenly women are more approachable to him, you know? And, yeah. <laughs> uh... He, so skeevy. It's got the, it's got the classic... Uh, man-child comedy setup of the woman being very upset that the man can't commit. Um, which, you know, 
which never seems to end with the guy actually learning to commit. <laughs> as much as that trope pops up, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Even uh, if the guy like learns to get his shit together, they always t- tend to find a way to punish the woman who wanted them to commit. <laughs> which this movie does because she ends up working at Hooters. Which is like considered like a lowly job in this movie, which is a very odd thing. I was okay, so this is just like kind of a tangent, but like I was working on a set recently and I was I was uh talking to a couple people like, Oh, I love hot wings and they're like, Oh, you know what? You gotta go to Hooters and I was like, I don't know. I don't I'm not a fan like mm-hmm. of their wings and they're like, No, no, you gotta do it like a certain way and we just spent like half an hour talking about wings at Hooters and why I I just don't think their wings are that good. I are are Hooters still around? <laughs> yeah, there's a couple. There's like one in L.A. and there's one like in Hollywood or something. But there, I like do. I've only been to the one in L.A. because it's across the the street from the convention center, basically. <laughs> so like when I go for Comic Con, it's like, well, I like food that's bad for me. <laughs> I pass a Hooters, um, but it looks like derelict, so I don't even know if it's open or if it's just Hooters. I don't know. <laughs> um. But you know why I probably related to this movie so much? Is Adam Sandler your dad? Kinda. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um, no, I wouldn't go that far. But, um, 1999, uh, that's very, uh, maybe a year into my parents' divorce. Ah. So I'm living with a single father who is now trying to do, you know, um, domestic work as as well as you know being the caregiver and supporting the family <laughs> now watching i basically get, watched my dad learn how to cook um because he was not good at it at the start mm. um but also uh i don't know if you've had this experience but sometimes your single parent wants to go out and do something like watch the game <laughs> But they got to watch, they got to, you know, they can't leave their kid home alone and it's too late to get a sitter. So might as well bring the kid to the bar. Uh, yes, I, f- I forget that you are also a child of divorce. So yeah, if, if we're going to go there, then yeah, there, there were a couple times where, hey, uh, Pop's going to go out with his work friends. Uh, we're going to go sit at the bar at Applebee's and eat some food and drink some drinks and their drinks looked a little different than mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a decent window into my uh, childhood here. Um, not like, you know, I was he, my father was not Adam Sandler. Um, but it was like, watch, you know, um, they're very, very similar age. So, um, but um, one of the movie theaters, when I was a child, all the movie theaters were at like malls because it was like, you know, movie plexes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the restaurant right below the movie theater was a Hooters. So as Full a child, as a child, I, I've been to Hooters a lot more than maybe a child should be. Which it's that what, like just what an odd idea for a restaurant. Like one that like just openly encourages harassing the wait staff. Everyone should watch the film, support the girls. Cause it's very good. And it, tackles that very idea even though it's not Hooters they're very clear to say you know what other movie features Hooters Tony Scott's Unstoppable oh shit is Denzel Washington's that's a masterpiece daughter I think gets a job at Hooters and like that's like a big deal 
Like, he doesn't know how to handle it. Yeah. And that movie does not end with him being like, oh, you know, like, now she doesn't have to work there. It's like, hey, you know, she still has the job. He'll have to come to terms with that on his own. You know, late era Tony Scott, or actually all Tony Scott, but, like, specifically those last two, uh, rest in peace, he, um, the endings are always very, like, almost melancholy. Like, yeah, they won the day, but it's like, you know, after the taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3, Denzel Washington's character takes the train home. Yeah. Instead of, like, accepting, like, like the, the, the ride from the mayor. Well, several of his later films are about working class people. And the, the thing that, that he, he understood that a lot of other movies don't, and I would say Adam Sandler films don't always get this, too, because he plays, in his earlier movies, a lot of working class people, um, that once the movie's over, you know, like, you would think, like, if, if something like, let's say, Taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3 happened to you in actual life, whether you're Denzel Washington or just a passenger on that train, you'd think, all right, well, my life is now over. I don't need to do anything for the rest of my life because I just experienced something fucking insane. But the truth is, if you're a working class person, it's like, well, you may, maybe they'll give you a couple days off, but you're going to have to go back to the job at some point. Yep. Even though you just stopped, a, like, basically a terrorist <laughs> or survived a a stage terror attack hostage situation and it's like well nope time marches on for everyone and that's what a great fucking filmmaker man yeah yeah it's great Uh, but like that's where I think this movie kind of gets a little more where at the end of it um, there's kind of like an ambiguity as to like alright they'll figure it out we're not going to see them figure it out but they'll figure it out and although they have that tacked on kind of epilogue, which maybe fucks that up. <laughs> uh, but a lot of Sandler movies kind of end where it's like, all right, I won. I'm on top. And now everything's good. I mean, Waterboy ends that way. Happy Gilmore ends that way. Billy Madison kind of doesn't, but he's always going to be rich. So like, he's like, I'm going to become a teacher. And it's like, oh, that's great. Um, but Yeah. <laughs> No, see, Billy Madison needed to end, like, Dark Knight Rises. He needed to lose the wealth and everything so he could finally live life as a free human being who's not confined by the chains of richness. All right, Dark Knight Rises. (laughs) I'm 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 just saying. All right. I don't know how the stock market works. But I think if a terrorist shows up and does something and like it's no one disputes that Bane stole all his money right (laughs) no one disputes that can't there isn't there like a contingency plan like doesn't I I don't know doesn't the bank go like hey look like you know we can't like process a lot of your loans but we're not going to take all your money away from you we clearly understand that a criminal act was committed against you I, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I'm not demanding logic. I just think that's very funny. Oh no, yeah. I mean, he literally goes. Movie, he but, literally goes oh home God. that night, and he's like, "They turned my power off," and it's like they don't even do that to poor people. <laughs> Leslie Mann's in this movie. Leslie Mann. 
what do you think of her as an actress? I like Leslie Mann. Okay, good. I, I, I had seen some slander when she was starting to appear in all the Judd Apatow films, and I was like, well, they're fucking married. Who gives a shit? Yeah. I don't know. I've always just kind of been defensive about her because I'm, I, like, a fan, and I think I she's, mean, maybe she's got really good comedic timing. She's got great comedic timing, and I think it's a little argue Like, you could maybe argue that she kind of plays the same person in every movie. Um, oh my god, yeah. Okay, but, I see it. But that's not, like, always awful. There's a lot of awkward talk in this movie about how she used to work at Hooters. That's a little... I think she was married to Judd Apatow by now, or at least was new of him. She married Judd Apatow in 1997. Yeah, and, and Judd Apatow knew Adam Sandler. And it's, it's just a... So it would be a little weird if you're like if I'm like your buddy and it's like, hey, I wrote a role for your wife and we're gonna talk about her boobs the whole movie. Yeah, that that would be It's a comedy, yeah, huh? so I guess. It's a very raunchy nineties comedy. So Yeah, but it's not like super it's not a raunchy nineties comedy. That's what Adam Sandler's genius was, is that he he was the safe alternative to all the like there's something about Mary ripoffs that came along. I mean, I guess, because I guess I would consider this more like, this is going to sound weird, family-friendly? Oh, no, definitely. <laughs> these are, these, these are as, as much as, like, yes, it's about a, a fucking misanthrope and a cynical person raising a kid very cynically. The plot's very cynical, manipulative, whatever. But these are, Adam Sandler became hugely popular with families. To the point where... My grandmother took me to see Mr. Deeds in theaters. Wow. Which we'll get to that. But And then to the point where he made an animated film and he was a regular at like, you know, the Nickelodeon Kid Choice Awards every year. Like Adam Sandler's a family-friendly brand for whatever you want to say. And... (laughs) I think we'll find out that, like, his biggest bombs are when he does lean into the raunchiness and when he does go, like, hard R. Those tend to be his biggest um, slip-ups in his career. I, never thought, I, I really never thought about it that way. Wow. Well, I'll save um, more because, like, there's, there's more explicit examples the later we get, but, I mean, he's very... That's, that's why he's very popular with those people who are, like... You know, they're very conservative. They're very, like, family values-centric. Mm-hmm. But they also, like, secretly love raunchy comedies. Like, you know, you've met those, like, people with, like, that odd contradiction in them where, like, they, they, they can't stand, like, the liberal elites of Hollywood. But then they like some of the strangest fucking movies ever. <laughs> I mean, Tyler Perry falls into the same category. Oh, God. That's... Yeah. Wh- they should work together. I mean, Medea is kind of... You know what? There we go. There's the female Adam Sandler. It's Medea. N- no. <laughs> she, like, drives a car into, like, a restaurant to, like, assault the cashier in one of those fucking <laughs> movies because they fucked up her order or something. But those movies are much, much more explicit in their, like, family values subtext. And they always have some weird, like, problematic element in them. Oh, no. Like, I, you could I, yeah, just I, take it out, and it um, would change nothing. Yeah, they're very, very strange. 
Medea um, also uses more firearms <laughs> than Adam Sandler does. Can I just say that uh, Boo, a Medea Halloween, is the most disappointing experience ever? Oh, really? Because they sell it in the trailer like, Medea's going to fight zombies. Oh, so, like, yeah. on some <laughs> level, you're excited for that concept, right? Because, like, like, if Larry the Cable Guy fought zombies, I don't care for Larry the Cable Guy, but, like, I would watch that. And it's just some Scooby-Doo style, some young teens are pranking Medea. Yeah, it's a prank war. How do you fuck that up? I don't know, but that's like kind of what I enjoyed about it. No. Oh my god, we're moving on. Anyways, I, in Big yeah, Daddy. I, I gotta say, if you want to understand probably why I, I am the bigger defender of Adam Sandler, um, there's a scene early on in Boo and Medea Halloween where um, someone pops out of a box dressed as a clown and Medea just punches them in the face. And, like, I legit laughed at that. <laughs> so, if you want to know where my brain is at in terms of lowbrow I'm, comedy... I'm, I'm not... I'm not a... Um, a hater of, of Medea. Let me just say that. I'm, a, I'm, not, I'm not a fan either, but, like... <laughs> I've, I've I've laughed at Tyler Perry movies. <laughs> Did you laugh at the clown getting punched? No. Then all right, there's a difference. Okay. Are, you a, are you a Three Stooges fan? I am a Three Stooges fan, actually. Okay. All right. Wait, hold on. Hold up. When was the last time you watched a Three Stooges short? Oh God. Oh, it's been a while. I yeah. might have been like in high school or when I mm. first started college. Yeah, you might it might you might not hold up for you. Okay, should I just leave it in the past? Um, no, because I I mean I I wouldn't um say don't try it because I do I do like the Three Stooges, but those are also a group of guys that just got weirder and weirder as time went on. <laughs> and they did one of like the first like anti-Nazi comedy films. Oh, good for them! Which I believe like ends up featuring Mo as uh, Hitler. <laughs> Oh what? And, what? Uh, and Curly as Benito Mussolini, but like you know, what? Like they have like different names. They like they're uh, yeah, yeah, of course. But I do believe Mo has the Hitler mustache at one point. And I think they all get like killed by lions, which is another weird thing, because <laughs> the Three Stooges don't normally die in their shorts. Wow, that took a leap, and it was already pretty far off with the Nazi satire. <laughs> um. I got no way of bringing it back to Big Daddy, so I'll just say. Um, well, we, let's. I, I actually have a way. Okay. Um, but speaking of the it. family values thing, uh, one weird element of Adam Sandler films is that they will they tend to feature very prominent gay characters, which is okay, something I okay that wasn't that bad. Yeah. Which is something I did not remember about this movie when I sat down to watch because it's been about a decade since I watched Big Daddy. And I forgot that um, Alan um, Covert and Peter Dante are in a gay relationship together. And it's weird because uh, there is the one character, the other character from The Waterboy, who, like, they were all roommates at one point, and then it's like, oh, at some point, they, the two roommates came out like, hey, we're gay and we love each other. And they're like, and the one guy clearly has a problem with it, but Adam Sandler's like, what's the problem? They're gay. They, that's why they kiss. He has a line like that early in the film. 
but they still mine a lot of kind of laughing at, oh, they're gay. You know, it's funny you bring that up because, yeah, it does carry on through his films, but, like, it's both in support, but it's also, like, look at funny right guys because of gay. Like, I'm just going to put that clip from The Office in there. Right guys because of gay? Well, it's like it. Werner Herzog hit on this when he pitched his version of Grown Ups 3. When he said that no, it's a it's a comedy. Okay. (laughs) Oh my Um, god. Paul of Tompkins as Werner Herzog. um, He pitches his version of Grown Ups 3, which if you haven't heard that, you should listen to it. (laughs) Um, and uh, I won't spoil what his version is, but it's pretty funny. And uh, he, but he hits at one point. Werner hits on the idea that uh, these movies posit that being gay is the funniest thing you could possibly be. <laughs> it's like just the very idea idea of gay people is funny in these films, which is so weird now that we're in a post gay marriage era, where it's like now that it's just so now that like you know, I don't you know it's definitely not. The work isn't done. It's not perfect, but gay people definitely feel more comfortable being open these days. And it's no—it's no longer like, like I, you know, you wouldn't even be like, "Oh, they're my gay friend" or something like that. Which seems like it would have been a more common thing in the '90s. Now it's like, "Oh my, they're my friend" because I know so many gay people. Why bother singling them out? The politics of Adam Sandler movies might need its own episode breakdown like we could talk about them in between like the films but like i i just there's a lot to parse out (laughs) i think we can i I think we can weave it in fairly well um i mean it's important to remember that adam sandler is a republican (sighs) yeah i mean but but also i mean just to give him a little bit of slack um he might be like gary sinise where gary sinise is like i'm a republican but i hate donald trump (laughs) Because, like, a lot of Republicans have kind of quieted down on being Republicans since Trump took office. Others have gotten more vocal. Like Scott Bayo and Vince Vaughn. Oh, yeah. Uh, Didn't Vince Vaughn just go to, like, a, a game with him? I don't know what... Yeah, there was, yeah, there was like, a thing going around. He, like, approached Trump and, like, said something to him. I don't know. Who who cares? I mean... Yeah. I mean, like, oh, look, like, I'm, I'm sounding bummed out because, like, yeah, like, it'd be nice if people... Like I, whose work I admired were like certainly more, uh, I guess, less conservative. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I also understand that like if he's not like actively hurting people, or or any 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 uh, performer or artist that I admire, like if they're not actively hurting people, like the chances are they're probably gonna have different politics on certain things. Well, and- well, now it's gotten so weird in the post-Trump era. Because it really is like the fact that we let it slide for so long kind of is what allowed Trump to rise, you know, Mm -hmm. where Trump just did what all the Republicans have been doing for the, you know, since Nixon and just was he was just very more vocal and unapologetic about it. And to the point where, like, he can basically say the most racist things ever and people will defend him for not being racist. And I think if you're even slightly liberal, it's caused you to at least re-examine everything. And now it's like, oh, like, you know, the idea of the classical liberal idea of being like, well, we disagree, but 
we can let it, you know, that's life. You got to live with people you disagree with, which is true. But it's very clear that we weren't enforcing that line. That There clearly is a part where we should have put a, a harsher line. And we didn't do yeah. that. And now we need to relearn how to do that. And unfortunately, I mean, we're at a point where there aren't any good Republicans anymore. <laughs> you know? There maybe never were. It's like, you know, John McCain was always kind of presented as like, oh, the maverick Republican. But it's like, you know, he was fucked up too. <laughs> so, yeah, especially now that we're basically in the middle of the impeachment trial while we're recording this, and it's such a sham. <laughs> and the, the Republicans are obstructing pretty much everything, and it's the biggest farce in American history. Which is literally, we have a president who admitted to committing crimes on Twitter. And then he's probably not going to get found guilty. And the only way you could do that is, I mean, that's, you know, at some point, it's no longer just a, a basket of deplorables. It is now the entire party is complicit. And Republicans definitely aren't understanding that. They're like, where did all this vitriol come from? And it's like, well, wake the fuck up. Yeah, I mean, it's that thing where people are saying, like, I don't recognize this country anymore. And it's like, well, y you might not have been looking, but it's definitely kind of been heading to yeah. toward one direction. Like I said, it was like, to, for me, it's like, oh, I was accidentally right about this country. Because <laughs> I definitely didn't have the intelligence or wherewithal to do it, to believe the things I believe for logical reasons. It just turned out like, oh, no, the GOP really is trying to destroy the country. I don't think they'll stop at the country, but your point is correct. Well, yeah, but who else matters? Am I right? God bless America. I mean, we even, you know, it's not like Obama didn't blow up half the fucking world, too. Oh, I'm dropping those hot takes. Have you not seen my Twitter? Yeah, you've been, well, you know what? I, probably not, because I actually, I mute, I've muted so many words. <laughs> but now I just don't see anything. I finally unmuted Bernie Sanders because I was like, fuck it, I'm voting for Bernie, why not? And But um, I don't follow anything. I Just because it's so, like nothing matters. <laughs> um, but more people seem to be waking up. Yeah, that's nice. I, I feel... Um, Seen people I did not expect to support Bernie Sanders supporting Bernie Sanders. People who were very vocal about being uh, Elizabeth Warren fans who are now like, no, nope, we're on the Bernie train. You know, I had a friend actually tell me back in 2016 that they hated Bernie Sanders, and then I just hung out with them again recently, and they're like, no, he's he's the choice. Like, he, yeah. he, he's he's the guy. So I was like, wow, that's great. Someone messaged me, like, at the very start of this primary was like, I made some comment, and they responded with, like, so long as it's not Bernie either, or something like that. I think I was saying, like, I didn't want Biden. And they were like, as long as it's not, like, and they thought, like, I would agree with that, which was weird. Um, I didn't respond. But now I see that they're on the Bernie train, too. So it's like, okay, a lot has changed yeah. in six months, which gives me some hope. Uh, it's really about, it. it it's now in the hands of the DNC not to fuck it up. 
Which, based on their track record... <laughs> Sorry. It's just like, oh shit, that's right. Yeah. Uh... Now, throughout the course of Big Daddy, <laughs> we see Sandler's relationship with the kid change where he first sees the kid as like an opportunity to prove to his girlfriend that he can commit... And then he starts running the problems where he's like, well, now I'm stuck with this kid. And he kind of only likes the idea of the kid. And he starts doing the classical thing where it's like, I'm not going to be like my dad. I'm going to raise you different. And he lets the kid do whatever he wants to do. Which becomes like a big like center point of this film. And that's when the kid decides he wants his name to be Frankenstein. Hey, Frankenstein. I did like that. Oh, all right. Um, this actually, to bring it back to how I relate to this film a lot... Um, there was a part in my childhood where, you know, when you're first like learning curse words, mm-hmm. this might be hard to believe to anyone listening to the podcast, this story I'm about to tell, but at some point, like I was testing them out and like my, my dad originally had a very strict policy about not cursing. And then one day he was like, no, go ahead. You can curse how, as much as you want. <laughs> and so for like, I would say like a solid month. I said basically every curse word in the book. I'm like I'm like eight, <laughs> and I'm just cursing up a storm. As long as like I didn't do it at school, like that was the concession. I can't do it at school, but if I'm at home, I can curse <laughs> as much as I want. And then at the end of it, it's when like okay, now you can't curse anymore. And I don't know what to tell you, <laughs> but from then until I was 18, I did not curse. <laughs> wow. It, whatever I and I don't think. My there was like a brilliant strategy behind that, but that's how it panned out. It took like the tail end of high school when I was like just not giving a shit before I started cursing again. And now I say the F word every fucking three words. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's like that accent in Spongebob when they go to, to rock bottom. Kinda. <laughs> I am, I, I, I forget that I kind of do curse a lot. <laughs> Because sometimes I'll end up around relatives that I haven't seen in a while. And I'll be like, yeah, this motherfucker was fucking talking to me the other fucking day. (laughs) And they'll all be, like, taken aback. I went to someone's wedding, and they kind of had to tell me, like, beforehand. They're like, look, just tone it down while you're at the wedding. (laughs) No, for me, it got really bad. Um, When I worked in a newsroom, uh, tension was high, right? So there was a lot of language and coffee going around. I don't know more of, of which one. And so like I then I go to like the families for holidays and stuff like that. And it was like the same thing. I was like, oh, you know, just fucking hurry up. And like, like and I was like, oh, shit, I can't talk like that here. I guess that's Whoops. why maybe I'm better at it now because there's not like coffee or alcohol in my matrix. There you go. So I'm not like I'm never belligerent. Just oh, with no, you. I wasn't uh, like... Just with you on this podcast. Okay, that's good. And to be clear, I wasn't like pulling aside like my abuela. I'm being like, listen, fuck. Listen, you fuck. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. The fucking coffee. Um, <laughs> I had a famous story where I yelled at a, a doctor because I thought they weren't treating my grandmother well. <laughs> and I uh, I used some curse words. My grandmother had never heard me curse before. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I got her the treatment, so fuck them. Yeah, and see, my grandma, she goes, uh, she doesn't curse a lot, but she's like, oh shit. <laughs> like if she takes like a wrong turn, she's driving, she's like, oh shit. 
She like she likes saying shit a lot, <laughs> which I think is hilarious because she doesn't curse otherwise. Unlike in Big Daddy. Unlike in Big Daddy, which also is not again not that raunchy. There's like some curse words, but not a ton. Like ass and shit, like are the biggest ones. I wipe my own ass. I wipe my own ass, which is a very bad way to punctuate what might actually be kind of an emotional scene. You know what that reminded me of? What? That fucking generic ass blockbuster humor now, where it's like every time there's like a moment of sentimentality, they're like, hey, here's a. But it's still funny. It's still funny though, right? It's still funny. And it's like, no, this was actually kind of working for me right there. Mm. Because I bought the connection between the kid and Adam Sandler. Um, did we didn't talk? Need that. Did we talk about how Adam Sandler was the first choice for Rocket Raccoon? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! So there's not a not a not a bad leap. Wow. Um, I actually think that would have been great. It would have. I guess uh, Adam Sandler's lawyer. I mean, uh, uh, agent turned it down. Oh. Did he get a new agent? Um, no. Okay. Actually, um, this is cut this out, but he tells a very funny story on Conan about uh, his agent getting the script for Uncut Gems like 10 years ago and then being like, how dare you <laughs> to the Safety brothers? <laughs> and then getting the script five years later and then being like, well, I've read this piece of shit. <laughs> like, and saying no again. And then it took them, like, meeting Sandler at, like, the Cannes Film Festival to get it made. <laughs> wow. Uh, this movie has, like, uh, there's a kind of cute element in this movie with the magic sunglasses that make him invisible. <laughs> you know, that's, like, a cute little moment. There's a lot of cute little moments. It just doesn't come together. Yeah, it doesn't congeal, really. Yeah. Uh. Although I will say, um, again, all the, the stuff with the kid, when it when it works, that that emotional pull works. And even though I remembered how it ended, um, I was actually like a little invested by the end. I I want I didn't want to shut this off. Um, at any yeah, point. I was too. It, there is a part where it like just kind of gets really serious, kind of out of nowhere. Um, there's the looming threat of the uh, Child Protective Services played, uh, who was the guy? Um, Josh, Josh uh, Mostel, the son of Zira Mostel, who also played um, the principal in uh, Billy Madison. <laughs> My favorite character ever. Very interesting character, the revolting blob, <laughs> who is now here like an actual imposing threat. I don't know why this guy didn't become a bigger character actor, because he's fantastic in this like there's a lot of range if he can be both those characters yeah um and like it's genuinely intimidating when he has to come and take the kid away um they actually for like some direct the directing kind of kicks in for a moment where you kind of get uh um julian's pov as he's being given to uh josh mostel where he's like kind of like you know he's not like he's not a bad guy either but he's he's a stranger and he represents kind of like this other force that you don't really know how to grapple with as a kid which all as a kid you know experienced his parents divorce I've I recognize a lot of that <laughs> where suddenly you're I mean 
it is weird when you're a kid who learns the word divorce. Yep. Which is a legal term. <laughs> and suddenly you learn terms like child cut. Like this was, it's one of those things where I, you know, I'm very familiar with a lot of the, the legal terms thrown around in this. And there's, you know, a group of kids who are not. And I'm not like saying that, like, I'm not trying to be like those kids are soft or something. I'm just saying that based... SJWs. <laughs> I'm saying like depending on how you grow up, you know, you experience, you learn things at a different age, and so, sometimes when you're young, shit gets serious very quickly, and you don't really know how to deal with it. And unfortunately, the the actual trial is kind of like stupid. <laughs> it doesn't really make any sense, but they just kind of like parade all the characters from the film, which I guess we should talk about uh, the supporting cast of this movie. All right. Uh, we got Steve Buscemi. As a homeless man. Joseph. I'm going to fuck up this name. Joseph Bologna. Well, yeah, but he's uh, he was never a huge actor, really. No, no, but you know, I, I you know, liked him in this. He had a long career. Um, I thought, for, for some reason, I thought... Going into some like, was Robert Duvall in Big Daddy? <laughs> in my in my mind's eye, I saw Robert Duvall as his father, but that wasn't the case. No, you know what? You know what fucked it up? James Caan and Bulletproof. Because like, what the fuck? Yeah. Was that? <laughs> and so now that's gonna be in the back of our minds. They could get him for Bulletproof. They could have got Robert Duvall for this. <laughs> yeah. But um, and then oh, uh, that would have made that would have made me love this movie because I love Robert Duvall. And then Rob Schneider as uh, Nazo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. His uh, his ex or Sonny Koufax's girlfriend said that that's basically his best friend, a delivery guy. Which is sad, but also uh, funny. <laughs> I don't know. I guess. I yeah. Like what? What is that? <laughs> is that? Um, is is he just the butt of the joke? Are we just supposed to laugh at a dude doing his job? I don't know, but we we like him. He can't read. And he's an illegal oh, yeah, immigrant. Make sure to mention that a lot. He's an illegal immigrant. And but that's not even like played as a joke. There's like a part in it like we find that out when he's like, "Look, I want to help you get the kid back, but I'm not a legal immigrant. Like my status in your country isn't necessarily legal." And it's like, "Whoa." God, you know what I'm discovering when watching these Adam Sandler movies? A bunch of these have like really compelling ideas and characters. Oh no, that's the the sad thing about a lot of these Sandler movies, even the ones that are going to get really terrible, is that there's always like the nugget of like a really great idea that you wish he gave these movies to like people with an actual vision or something. I mean, the problem is he's the dominant force on all his own movies, which is financially a very smart idea. But, because, like, he gets a lot of range. He plays a lot of different characters. And the problem is we don't realize until he does something like Punch Drunk Love or Spanglish that, oh, he can actually play more serious roles. But he really is already showing a decent amount of range in his characters. But there's no range in the directing or the storytelling. (laughs) Which, if there was just a little more there, uh, I think he would have a lot more movies that are, like, undisputed classics and so far the only one that really gets close to that is Billy Madison and that's not even like you know that's just so strange at times 
Uh, but speaking of Adam Sandler as like the the creative force behind these films, I think it's important to note that this was also the last Adam Sandler film before he started Happy Madison Productions. Yep. And it was also the highest grossing domestically until Hotel Transylvania 2. Wow, which that's we will nuts. eventually talk about. That's nuts. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have 34 million against 234 million. That 200 it made 200 million dollars more than its budget. That's fucking That is nuts. For a, a yeah. movie like this, this would not do that kind of business today. Yeah. I mean, even like the good stuff uh like Game Night or or uh, Blockers which I brought up on this podcast a lot, I know, but like those those weren't like runaway hits. They were like really well received and they did business and then that was like it. Yeah, well in comedies, like isn't like the big thing that the comedies really don't play overseas. Yeah, something they, they need something else. Like I've heard that's actually a problem with the Cohen brothers. Like I've heard them in interviews where like our movies are like really popular in specific countries but not all over the world. <laughs> because we just have very you know, very American humor in it. Yeah. Like, uh, not, not to derail Big Daddy before we wrap up, because I did not expect to talk this long about Big Daddy, and I'm not complaining either, but just like, uh, like the Marvel movies always do very well overseas, but specifically Ant-Man does really well overseas. Domestically, that's kind of like the, the weaker one. That's but... kind of nuts, because Ant-Man, yeah. the Ant-Man movies are not good. <laughs> They're... They are not good. <laughs> Fine. I was so disappointed in Ant Man. It was just like, I and like I I, I it's probably my own fault for keeping the faith after they fired Edgar Wright. But I was so down with the idea of like, cause like there's something about like size changing action that's like just so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but like, as a kid, one of my favorite movies was Honey I Shrunk the Kids. So I've always had, like, a weird, like, kind of fascination with, like, which is one of, like, the easiest effects to do. Like, if you have a green screen, you could do a size-changing effect at your house. And somehow, like, Honey, I'm sure the kids and the fucking borrowers are, like, so much more inventive than either of the Ant-Man movies. The only thing, the only fun thing the Ant-Man movies came up with was, like, making tiny things really big. I was so I, I they just it just bugs me. I feel like that's like you know it's perfectly set up on a T to be fun, and it just isn't. I don't like that, Diego. Um, look, I'm I'm with you on on the whole anti MCU thing now. I guess, but like, I, they're fine. I, I I don't hate those movies. I, I'm not saying I hate them, but I do not like them. <laughs> okay. I think they are bad. Okay. <laughs> I I think the second one's got got less going for it but I, I, well, name, I don't care enough to fight anymore name three of the characters that aren't Ant-Man or the Wasp well there's Ant-Man's daughter <laughs> name what's her name <laughs> what's her name uh, Cassie is it <laughs> I don't know yeah, yeah alright it actually is uh, but no yeah it's it's fine Adam Sandler could have made a fun Scott Lang that's not a bad idea I think he's a little too old at this point Oh yeah, yeah, definitely to it. But like, uh, like when when Edgar Wright like wanted to do it originally, I think that would have worked. Yeah, I think Paul Rudd's a good. Like I think Paul Rudd's a good choice for the character. They just don't know how to use him. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I kind of wish he was playing um, Hank Pym, but that's no, I, 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 
I could go on that I think you can feel the remnants of Edgar Wright's script when you watch the first Ant-Man, and I'm going to go on a limb, and I think it might be one of the most brilliant screenplays ever written. <laughs> In terms of superhero films, I guess. Okay. There's a there's this there's this really brilliant father son stuff in that movie, and which you know is a very like classic trope, but I think that movie does it in a way that is much more interesting than people give it credit for. But uh, whenever they brought Adam McKay on, who I like, they kind of just leaned into the comedy and they dropped all the other stuff. But you can feel the remnants of it. And I would argue that the villain of the first Ant-Man is, like, one of the better Marvel villains. Oh, I actually want to hear this. I did not expect that. That's all you're getting. (laughs) Eventually, Sonny wins uh, custody of the little Sprouse children. We should say... Uh, I I, I, I totally forgot his name. I got to point out the one funny line in the movie where he's like... I want my father to come to the stand. And it's like, we can't bring his father to the stand. He's going to be too uh, favorable to his son. And he's like, we can't trust any opinion he gives. And he's like, you want my opinion? My son is a moron. He's like, I withdraw my objection. (laughs) That's a pretty funny line. Yeah, yeah. Again, moments. Moments in this. But it's always just moments now for me. But yeah, but it's revealed that Jon Stewart, who we didn't even talk about... (laughs) No, no, I said he was in it. Yeah, we brought up that he was in it, but we didn't talk about his relevance. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, he, uh, it turns out he's the father of Julian. He puts the pieces together because they were like, at, at the beginning, it's not that he was keeping it a secret, he just didn't realize that the kid really was his son. We never find out what happened to the mom, I don't think. Uh, uh, I think she died of cancer or something. Maybe, but I, I remember them just saying that she like financially couldn't support the kid, and then that just never comes up again. <laughs> oh shit! Are, are you sure she didn't die? Maybe I I think she might have, but I don't know if it's ever said. Huh. And uh, and he's like, I'll do a blood test. So we can end this trial, and so he ends up uh, with the kid. So John Stewart gets the kid. But he remains friends with Adam Sandler. Works out for everyone. Oh, oh, and then uh, Sonny also turns his life around. He becomes yeah. a lawyer. He gets married to um, Joey Lauren Adams. And then they get a kid of their own. Yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, and I think that's one of Adam Sandler's actual children. Oh, okay, that's nice. The end. Oh, uh, his his ex, his ex girlfriend, uh, also works at Hooters, right? Yeah, she's she's punished for work, and she works at Hooters because she, the guy who uh, committed and actually had life plans, turns out those plans didn't work out. So fuck them, fuck them for trying and dreaming. (laughs) Yeah, how dare they have their own lives? Also, uh, I think. I had forgotten that she cheats on him with an older man. And so yeah. I was like, oh, okay, it's a fake out. It's her dad. She's just moving out. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, no, that were, that's right. Hey, old man River, zip it or I'll break your hip. <laughs> I, I got to be honest, though. I, um, I ran into someone um, who I knew in high school who I did not get along with. And they were working a very, like, lowly job. 
I won't say where, but it was like an awkward situation to run into them, and they were clearly not happy to see me, see them, basically. Mm. And I did not get any satisfaction out of that. <laughs> you know, like, that's not a, it's not a, I don't know, if, like, why that's like a dream of some people. I think it's because they haven't been in the situation. It's like, yeah, this is, this is a leap, but you know, like, in those action movies where it's like, you don't, don't kill the villain, it won't, like... It's not what they would want or whatever when they're like trying to get revenge or some shit. And it's like, then sometimes they do it and they're like, I don't feel any better. Well, like, this is the real life version of that where it's like, you're doing wish fulfillment. You're not actually going to feel any pleasure by watching someone else suffer. Yeah, it's not fun. Yeah. It's not like, that working in, in a place like Hooters is suffering, but, you know, like, yeah. if, if well, something the, doesn't work out for someone. According you know, to this movie, it's like a humiliating thing, which is so weird because there's, I mean, it's... It's very clearly a product tie-in, and the whole movie it just it, again it's it's a weird thing where they don't shit on the product, but they definitely shit on the employees. Yeah, it's 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 gross. It's yeah. I um, that this is the beginning of kind of like the dunking on the working class, which doesn't really take off until Adam Sandler kind of ends up in more pl- privileged uh, positions. It's funny that you bring up. Duncan. I'm not going to say it, but it is funny. Don't mind if I do. What's my name? Duncanino. It's a whole new game. Duncanino. You want creamy goodness? I'm your friend. Say hello to my chocolate blend. Matt, where can the people find you? I'm at EmperorOTN1 at Twitter.com. And you can find me at Twitter.com as well, at the Diego Crespo. Check out The Waffle Press on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Patreon. You can listen to episodes early. And check out a bunch of other stuff we got going on here, too. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We have been professionally unprofessional. And we'll be back next week with Poltergeist. Poltergeist.